Hi, this is Chris Campbell, and welcome to the Food Institute Podcast. Today, we will be speaking with Mark Moore, president of CMC Design Build, regarding changes in the construction and design of food facilities in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. But first, whether you are a first-time listener or becoming something of a regular, we ask that you share this episode on your social media platforms and with your friends. Helps us expand our reach, and we really appreciate it when you do so. So with that said, I'll introduce Mark and start by asking how he's doing today. I'm doing great, Chris. Thanks for having me on. Uh, we really appreciate you joining us. And I was going to ask, would you be able to give a brief background of yourself and also your company so uh, any of our listeners that are unfamiliar get a better idea of who you are and what your company does? Sure. Um, so CMC Design Build designs, engineers, and builds food processing and food distribution facilities. We're a true design build firm, which means we're integrated. We have in-house architecture, in-house engineering, and in-house construction. Um, we've been doing it since 1989. Uh, and we think of ourselves more, you know, while we are, we're a design build company, we're more of a business consultant. We like to embed ourselves in our client's organization and understand exactly what makes them tick and what their keys are to profitability. So we'll get involved early on when the light bulb first goes off and says, hey, I think I, I, I might need a new facility or a change in my, my system if it's a nationwide client. We'll get involved in a systems analysis to um, help them decide where should my four or five facilities be across the country. And then the facilities themselves will work to establish a layout that, that primarily is, is designed to, number one, get as, as much product out as we can, but also to do that with as little cost as possible. And usually that means focusing on how do we reduce labor as that's one of the biggest factors after cost of goods in these types of facilities. Uh, so that's a, kind of a snapshot on what we do. We, we do this work across the country. Um, I've been in this business, I hate to say, it's, it's hard to say since 1984, which is a, it's a long time now. I did take three years in the, in the third party distribution business down in Metro New York, uh, handling grocery distribution for uh, dry, refrigerated and frozen uh, goods, which actually helped in, in the ultimate plan to be, um, be in the food world. Uh, but uh, primarily, I've, I've been doing this all my life. So it sounds like your experience will be useful in the topic we're discussing today, which is how these facilities are changing to adapt to new conditions caused by the coronavirus. But I think it would be useful for our listeners if they got a bit of background on the design market before the pandemic. So could you maybe give us an idea of what was going on uh, over the past five years to the present day before the coronavirus pandemic really hit the U.S. shores and what you were seeing in the market overall? I think you know when you say the past five years, it's it's. I think you have to really go back to two thousand nine, two thousand ten, when the financial crisis really stopped everything. We were in a position at that point where really nothing was happening because the banks weren't financing projects. So there was a big jump from two thousand ten to two thousand fifteen. It's probably about a fifty percent increase in number of projects. Now that's not revenue. Revenue is kind of hard to. Um, to gauge in our world, nobody really wants to report their, their numbers. The numbers aren't really just constructed value. There's equipment, so they're, they're skewed. But I, I so the, the numbers of number of projects had dramatically increased in 2015, and it actually was decreasing um, by about 12 percent. So you look at 2019, we the number of projects according to Food Engineering had dropped by 12% total, not per year, but had in aggregate dropped by 12% from 2015. Now, at the same time, project size, and this is kind of anecdotal, 
but project size has been increasing. So I think overall revenue has gone up, but it's not as dramatic. It, it's not as hot as it was um, in say 2015, 2016. Now to take it a step further, the, the, the overall construction industry has been very hot for that period of time. So, so the, the marketplace has been really overheated for the last five, six years. It's, it's difficult to find people and that's why prices are so high. And it's been tough sledding to try to find sometimes subs to even bid projects. All right. So with that in mind, what can you tell us about what CMC has been seeing uh, since the coronavirus pandemic has hit U.S. shores? Are you seeing a rise in demand for new or renovated food production facilities? Right off the top, food service distributors, for the most part, there are exceptions and the exceptions would be companies that are providing services to restaurants that would take out prior to COVID. They're actually doing very well in the food service world. Otherwise, food services is decimated companies that were providing um, food to the food service market, the, the actual processors, they've been having difficulty. Uh, retailers have, of course, been doing very well, and companies that provide food to retailers have been doing very well. But I think that while there's a demand, nobody really knows what this demand is going to be once a vaccine is in place and we do return to whatever normalcy will be at that point. So it's hard, for I think, for companies to say, okay, I see a demand right now. I mean, I've got record setting. Uh, you look, look at the baking supplies are, are through the roof, but is that temporary? So there's, a, there's certainly an increase in e-commerce, and that was happening anyway, but that has that, that's definitely been accelerated. Um, there are some industries that have really just taken an absolute slamming. I mean, we, we were doing airline catering facilities. Well, we had projects that would stop stopped in the middle and canceled uh, because that business is effectively gone now. Uh, cloud kitchens, which were the, the back kitchens that were supporting restaurants that had um, surplus demand for, for takeout, that industry, that the restaurants are barely able to keep their, their own kitchen running, never mind establish a back kitchen. So there's a lot of, it, naturally, there's a lot of turmoil um, and I think there's uncertainty and I think that uncertainty is probably going to be with us for those six months to a year. Uh, there are projects that are going forward there, and there are companies that are looking to take advantage of uh, their position in the market, which they think is, and I think rightly so, is probably going to continue for the foreseeable future. The, the HMR segment of, of the marketplace, which thankfully we do quite a bit of ready to eat work, ready to heat and ready to cook, uh, that's going to keep going, I think. And it, it, was, it was going to anyway, it's now just kind of accelerated. So it's a mixed bag right now. Overall, I in my conversations with people on the Food Institute podcast, uncertainty is absolutely one of the major themes of the next six to 12 months and also over the past six months as well, looking at that 18-month period, really. Um, I would like to go a little bit more into the different types of designs that you guys are working on that are actually getting traction right now. You said that there are certain companies and in certain industries that are using their market advantage right now. Can you explain a little bit more about what kind of companies you're seeing that are trying to expand their facilities in the current moment? Well, we do a lot of work with Amazon. So naturally, Amazon uh, keeps chugging along no matter what. And they're, right now, they're, they're, the number of projects that Amazon has on the board is, uh, is increasing and increasing dramatically. Uh, the, the companies that are, um, that are in the ready-to-eat world, the ready-to-heat world, and um, the ready-to-cook world, 
their, their proceeding. Uh, we are doing some work in the uh, vertical indoor farming world, and we're seeing growth in that marketplace. Uh, there's growth in uh, the uh, charcuterie world, Italian cured Italian uh, meats. So those are a couple of the industries that we see pushing forward. And going into those new designs, what types of automation technologies are customers requesting now? Are people looking to these kinds of technologies? I know they already were in many different aspects of the food industry, but do you see an increased emphasis on automation now that the coronavirus is kind of upending traditional work models? Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, you know, automation automation for years was kind of a sexy thing. Everyone, you'd love to look at a shiny new automated facility, but sometimes when you dig a little bit deeper and look at the return on investment, uh, the, the, the model really didn't match the, the company's parameters for, for effective return on investment. So you'd see pack, pack lines are, are really the easiest um, and most effective way to introduce automation into a facility and get that return on investment. That you know, packaging spans all industries. It's not focused primarily on food. So packaging has been able to advance to the point where uh, it's, it's cost effective and in the food world, that's where you're going to reduce a, a ton of labor because at the, at the pack line, pack line is um, usually heavily labor intensive. Um, past that, it, it, it's hard sometimes to automate. A, 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 well, we are doing it in the, in the, in the charcuterie world and in the, the vertical indoor farming world. There is a lot of automation and they, they, that process lends itself to automation um, because the, the process itself is not, Okay, I cut meat, I put it in a package, and I shipped it. It's I prepared the meat, and now I put it into one staging area. Another, it is a process, a long process for the for the until the product is actually finished. So it's on a sled, and it moves through the moves through the chain, and and automation is very useful there. Um, to try to, it, 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 I think, no doubt, the the coronavirus is is definitely increasing the. Um, let's call it the, the risk intangible that gets thrown into the calculation of ROI. Uh, if you can, the, the, it's a, it sounds horrible to say, well, we want to eliminate jobs, but you know, eliminating people in the, in the facility eliminates the potential for risk and eliminates the, uh, the, the possibility of a shutdown of the facility. So there is definitely a focus on trying to automate and trying to automate the areas that are most heavily labor intensive, which would be, the, the, if it's a hand cut line or a process or, or a pack line, those are the spots that you'll see it. I think that kind of segues nicely into some questions about uh, safety in a food facility. And are there any new concerns that you have in mind or any customers that have brought to you regarding the coronavirus, any kind of new safeguards or new government regulations that they are keeping in mind while looking at a new facility? Well, the big thing is social distancing and Social distancing, and that's what you, you see the, the outbreaks in, in processing facilities because it's so hard to socially distance. By definition, we've spent years trying to engineer the, 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 the most we could put into the smallest space. So we wind up with people on production lines face-to-face -face and three and side-by-side. -side. Uh, from the time that People enter the facility, they're, they're pushed through a, a, a usually a small, fairly small corridor into a locker room together. They're in lunch rooms together. Uh, so it is, uh, that's, that's what has to be battled. How do you do it? Can you say, 
okay, I'm going to take my production line that is, that's a hundred feet long and make it 200 feet long so that I have social distancing, not going to happen. Uh, can you say that I'm going to cut my production rate by 50% so that I can decrease the amount of people on the line? That's not going to happen. You're not going to be profitable. So the only thing you can really do there is, is we, you've got, you've got Lexan barriers that are set up between people. You, you can try to stagger your, um, stagger your lunch breaks. You can stagger your, the time that people come into the facility. You can take, particularly now where you, you, your office staff may be working remotely, there may be space in the office that you could say, I'm going to set up a, a temporary locker room or a temporary break room so that you can get yourself your, the social distancing. You can try to go in and this, this is a, there's a, uh, there's a lead time factor and a, and a fairly heavy cost factor with trying to upgrade your HVAC systems to create more circulation and create more filtration. It's an effective way to limit the spread. You know, it's not, it's not a silver bullet. All right. So Mark, are you seeing a lot of demand for retrofitted facilities or is it mostly new construction in the current moment? Historically, Greenfield's about 25 to 30% of our business. And I think 25 to 30% of the food industry's design and construction uh, industry. And it, you know, and it makes sense when you think about when you build a Greenfield, you're building it for 20, 25 years, but you're not building it for that day one. You're building for five years from now. So you can expect that you're going to have three to five expansions off of any greenfield that you build. When I say retrofit, to me, retrofit is retrofit and addition versus greenfield. Those would be the two categories. Uh, you also see retrofit, particularly in the e-commerce world and in the processor world, because of their need for proximity to urban areas. E-commerce needs last mile near where people are, and processors need to be where people are because they need the labor. So there, and it, by definition, an urban area is a built-out area. So you're not going to have uh, available raw land. So you wind up going into a into a retrofit facility. In terms of what we're it, it related to COVID, I don't really see that as as a much of a difference. That I don't I don't think we're seeing any difference in terms of what someone looking for a new facility would opt for greenfield versus retrofit because it's, it's such a long-term investment. You're not, you're not really making this investment for the next six months or a year. Um, you're, you're, you're doing this for the long-term. So you'll make the right decision based upon your, your long-term needs rather than the short-term COVID impact. Okay. So to take a step away from COVID-19, what other food safety issues are you encountering or your customers are asking about? Yeah, so, so food safety issues really haven't changed all that much. Food safety is food safety. We take the tack that if we look at every facility and imagine it at some point being a ready-to-eat facility, that's going to be your highest level of food safety. The difference between building a, a facility that will meet British Retail Consortium guidelines, BRC guidelines, uh, and not meet BRC guidelines is really not that great from a cost perspective. You have to think about things and you have to lay things out properly, but the cost isn't that much different. So if you're, if you're going to, um, you have some things that you have to do to be a BRC facility at the upfront. You're gonna to have to segregate your waste streams between your, the, the, the low risk side and the high care side, your raw side and your ready to eat side. You can't go back and change that later. So our recommendation to clients is, is to, Think of yourself as a ready-to-eat facility. That way you'll be designing to the highest level of food safety standards 
And yes, you're going to spend a little bit more money to do it that way, but you now will have a facility that if your business model changes and you now want to reach a higher level of food safety because your clients have asked you to, or government regulations have changed, you're in position to do that uh, and, and for very little premium cost. All right. I'll, I'll ask one more time here. So, all right, Mark. So what about any other food safety issues that may be popping up in the current climate beyond COVID-19? Have any of your customers brought any novel food safety issues to your attention that you think our listeners might want to know about? We really don't see anything new when it comes to food safety. It's, it's really, it's, it's business as usual from that perspective. So Mark, I'm going to ask you to put on your fortune teller hat for a second, but what do you think the market will look like in the post-pandemic era? Do you think people will be more concerned about future pandemic pathogens? Do you think that they'll go back to normal? Do you think it's going to mix? What do you think the, the market will look like in the future when we get past this current crisis? Uh, you're right. That is, that's, that's the crystal ball question. We should be, if I had the answer to that, we'd be moving to Las Vegas right now. Um, but I, 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 I think that once we get back to whatever normalcy is, once there's a vaccine, it, it will be very interesting to see how people's habits change. Because that's really what drives our, our business uh, is, well, we, we know people are going to eat. That's the beauty of focusing on, on food. It's always going to be there. The question is, what are they going to eat and how are they going to get it? And I, I think that, that probably things will return from the restaurant side, I think that will come back. So the food service world will, will be basically what it, what it, what it was. I don't, I don't see that changing once there's a vaccine. It may take two years, three years to get there, but long-term that, that will remain the same. I think we have seen an acceleration in uh, the, the advent of e-commerce taking a, a, in, at a faster pace, a larger share of the retail grocery market. I think that there probably will be, at least for, for two or three, maybe four years, an increase in the ready to eat, ready to heat, ready to cook world. I think that may stay for a while. And as, of course, as time goes on, older folks like me um, become less important as consumers and the millennials and, and, and those past millennials become a bigger part. And I, I think we're just going to see, we've jumped ahead, I think, five years in terms of the, the pace of change in the way that the market um, is, is delivering food. Now, I also think that we're going to see, unfortunately, probably some pretty bad stretches of time when we've got a whole, we've got a slug of debt that is sitting in the restaurant world that, you know, it's like musical chairs. When, when's the music going to stop? And that that's going to come due because restaurants are, are, are really not, they're not doing any business. There's going to be bad debt and somebody's going to have to swallow it. There's going to be, um, when, when we come to the end of this month and unemployment um, and, and enhanced unemployment compensation goes away, things could get pretty ugly. Uh, so I, I there's a silver lining for us because, as I alluded to earlier, the, um, the, the construction market had been overheated. Labor is going to be, we think, more more available. And I think that there still will be food going and um, food facilities being built. And I think it will probably be at a fairly rapid pace. So we're overall, we're bullish. It's just trying to get through these these next 
six months to a year, year and a half, where things are a little bit dicey. So I think that's a good place to wrap it up, taking a look at the future there. So I want to ask, uh, Mark, where can our listeners go to learn more about your company? Best place would be CMC Design hyphen build.com. All right. So we'll make sure to share the link to that website in our description of this video. Once again, I'd like to thank Mark for his time today. If you're new to the Food Institute podcast, please follow, like, and share this episode. If you'd like to learn more about the Food Institute, please take a look at the other links in our description to learn more about us and what membership could do for you and your company. So until next time, this is Chris Campbell signing off. Thank <music> you.